You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So we've got just a few weeks left in the book of Hosea, um, and then we will head into a four-week Advent sermon series uh, heading up to Christmas. So we are getting close here, and... Uh, verse, or chapter 11 comes as a bit of a relief, doesn't it? You know, there's been some heavy chapters here over the last several, several weeks, and here the Lord breaks in with some declarations about himself. And my aim this morning uh, in, in going verse by verse through uh, chapter 11 is to hold out the tender and compassionate, enduring and steadfast, patient and mighty love of your Father. To hold it out just to say, like, look at it. Look at the tender and compassionate, enduring, steadfast, patient, and mighty love of your Father. Look at it. And then to encourage you that as his children, that you can, that you must, and that you will come to him when he calls. And that because of Christ, when you come to him, you will receive your restoration rather than your destruction when he calls, and that's really good news, and it's because of the love that he poured out in Jesus. And I'm going to show that to you throughout this, this chapter as we look at um, where we see the Christ in a passage like this. Well, I want to start by uh, highlighting some of the fatherly attributes that we see here. We open up in chapter 11, verse 1, with God de- declaring through Hosea, when Israel was a child, hold on to that, was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offering to idols, yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. That's verse 3. For I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. I've heard it preached um, several times in my life that when God calls himself Father, I've heard it said almost exactly like this, that God could have used any language or any titles to describe himself to us, but he chose to use the word Father in order to make himself understood to us, in order to use language that we can understand. It's to borrow a a human relationship in order to try to help us to conceptualize what he's kind of like. And my heart pulls back at that type of talk because it flips it backwards. It suggests that God borrowed our understanding of a human relationship and applied it to himself in order to try to make himself more relatable to us. But it's actually the opposite way around. We get our understanding about what human fatherhood is by looking to the Father, to the God who within his own character before humanity ever existed embodied all of the biblical characteristics of fatherhood and by endowing his nature upon his creation by making us in his image, he instilled a necessary structure within human relationships including this role of father in order that we could express truth about who he is and always has been. 
He didn't take fatherly attributes upon himself to become relatable to humans. He is a father. All the fatherly attributes that we yearn for, that we strive for as dads, they derive from the father. And the father, Jesus called him the father, is speaking like a father in this passage. And he's speaking to his children, Israel. And we've been talking a little bit. I'm going to gloss over it this morning just because we're 11 chapters in at this point. So I'm banking on you guys kind of just tracking with me a little bit. But we talked about Christ as the true Israel. And that since Christ is in you, he's brought you along in that designation that you likewise are true Israel because of Christ in you who walked in your stead. So when we talk about when Israel was a child, we're talking about true Israel. We're talking about the children of God. And when you were a child, the Father loved you. When you were a child, the Father loved you, verse 1. It was out of Egypt, Egypt being a placeholder for slavery. Out of slavery, I called my son. I released my son from bondage, and I loved my child, when you were just a, a, a wee one, just a little guy tippy-toddling around, just a little one not knowing your right hand from your left. God describes this youth when he says that it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, and it was I who took them up by the arms. You can picture it, dads. But they didn't even know that it was I who healed them. He loved you before you were aware of his love for you. He loved you before you asked for love. Do you ever hear um, it said, I don't know who said it first, but whoever did was a genius. He said that when we're born, the first thing we do is look for someone who's looking for us. That there's something in that infancy where you're aware of your need in some intrinsic sense but you don't have the common sense to have any sense for where the help and the healing is really come from. When we were silly little ones, the Father loved us. And there's something that was in my heart as I was preparing this message, as I thought about different testimonies of Christians that you walk through. I came to faith sometime around 2008 as an adult. And so I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so I've got one type of testimony. And then there are others, and this is the desire for my children that this would be their testimony, who would say, I can't remember a day when I didn't know the Lord. I, I, I can't remember a time that the name of Christ was not on my lips, that I didn't believe. And that's my favorite kind of testimony. But there are dangers in both types of testimony, temptations into different types of unbelief. And they're distinct because of our experience with the Father. And I believe that today's passage has direct application to the person who has that second, what I would say, better testimony. The one where I can't remember a time when I didn't know the Lord. I don't have a day that I can point to. Uh, there was a teaching that a, a pastor I respect, Alistair Begg, he was, talked about um, this, these two different types of testimonies a little bit. And he was saying that if nobody had recorded the date or taken pictures or was there to tell you the story, that none of us would have any way of knowing that we'd been born except to look to the fact that we're enjoying life today. 
And so in that way, he says that, there's, that, that for some who have been born again, they can look at a distinct date and, and, and time, and they can say, it was on this day that I was born again. But for some others, they look up and they just see the goodness of the life that I'm walking in now, and that's evidence that at some point I've been born again, and that there's nothing lacking in either testimony, both testimonies by grace alone. But for the person who can't remember a day when they didn't know the Lord, I believe that there's a distinct risk in that testimony to forget the grace of God in your raising. Grandma was a Christian. She raised mom in the Lord, and mom raised me in the Lord, and we went to church every Sunday, and we had the hymns on our lips, and we read the Bible, and we had family devotionals, and all of that, and in some way, we feel like we're native sons. We feel like we're native sons, that we forget that we were adopted. We forget that we were born again. And what this can lead us to is to take our sonship for granted. And I think that this is the person that the Lord is describing Israel as in this passage. And then there's a risk in testimony number two, where you come to faith later in life and you can have this loud testimony being brought from darkness to light and you remember it and it was last year or whatever. And in that, the temptation is different. Not that I'm a native son or that I deserve what I have, but that I'm an illegitimate son and that I need to hold on to what I have, that I need to prove that God made a good choice in adopting me, that I need to earn or maintain what I've received. And so in both testimonies, there is temptation to ultimately make it about us, either by self-righteousness or by self-condemnation. And so here the Lord is addressing the one who he raised up from when he was a child. And this is God making a covenant with a people many, many thousands of years ago and remaining faithful on his end to those children all this while, while Israel looks up after generations and generations and generations, many years after their childhood of covenant relationship with God. And they've forgotten that when they were just a child, the father loved them that he called them out of slavery. The more he called them, the more they went away. He says, but it was I who taught you to walk. It was I who picked you up by the arms. It was I who healed you, even though you didn't know it was me. It was I who led you with cords of kindness. It was I who led you with bands of love. It was I who became to you as one who eases the yoke on your jaws. Can you see that imagery? like you're an oxen pulling a weight that you just can't bear, and he comes along as one who eases the burden of that yoke as it bears down on the bit on your jaw. He says, I bent down to them, I knelt down to them, and I fed them. So we hear love, we hear the calling of a son, we see teaching to walk, we see scooping up by the arms, we see healing, we see leading, we see kindness, we see bands of love, we see easing the yoke of burden, we see bending down, stooping down, and feeding. This is God talking about himself in relationship to his children. Any dads in the room? You ever bent down and fed your child? 
Anyone ever do the airplane? Open up. Anybody ever take an infant to the doctor and they'll have no memory that they almost died? But you remember? And you healed them and they don't even know? Anybody ever with their toddler, daddy up, daddy up, scoop them up from under the arms? Why are these things beautiful? Because they're godly. Because they're godlike. Because they are attributes and characteristics of the Father. Anybody feel a vacuum in those spaces with their own Father? Anybody feel the shame of failing to be that Father? This is who your father is. The one who eases the yoke on the jaw. He's addressing his children and he's saying, I'm your dad. And then he says in verse 5, you will not return to the land of Egypt. Historically, what's happening here is there are two world powers on either side of Israel. One's Egypt, the one that the Lord liberated them from. The other is Assyria, the one that's bearing down on them. And the people have started to think like they did once before. I think if I go buddy up with Egypt, then I can maybe stave off the invasion from Assyria. And we've seen this before. Let's return to slavery because it's safer there. Historically, what God's going to do is he's going to use Assyria to conquer Egypt in the 700 BC era under the 25th dynasty of Egypt. He's, the people are going to want to flee to Egypt, and God's going to say, no, I'm going to use Assyria to take them down too. Otherwise, you might call them dad, but I'm dad. So you shall not return to the land of Egypt. You will not go back to the yoke of slavery. But Assyria shall be their king. And I'm going to brush through this section today only because it's a repeating of judgments we've been preaching for weeks. But he's not letting up on the discipline that's coming for them. He's saying, you're still, Assyria is going to be your king because you have refused to return to me. And the sword is going to rage and war is coming and the gates are going to come down and you're going to lose your land and you're going to lose your leaders and, and all of this because you're bent on turning away from me. And although you call out to the Most High, I will not raise you up from this. It's all repeating from previous chapters, but that their heart is not yet turned to the Lord. They're crying out, give me back my idols, Dad. And he's saying, no, I'm going to give you me. We see a turn after all this judgment in verse 8 where he looks inwardly now. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma and treat you like Zeboim? 
Adma and Zeboim were little tiny villages right outside Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed at the same time as Sodom and Gomorrah. And we don't talk about them. We talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. But Adma and Zeboim regarded themselves as distinct from Sodom and Gomorrah, although they shared the same valley and walked in all the same practices. And he's saying, this is you with Assyria. You've taken their gods and you've taken their practices and you've forsaken me and you've camped with the idolater. But how can I treat you like Adma and Zeboim? How can I strike you down like the Assyrians are due when you are my children? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. He looks out at the sins of his children and he stays his hand of wrath and it is stayed by his compassion. How is it possible? I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. When I say to you the phrase, for I am God and not a man, you're expecting something to come next, aren't you? Not normally are you probably expecting him to say, therefore, I will not come in wrath. He's saying, that's the way of men. See how the nations rage in vain. This is the way of men. Wrath is not for the children. He is God and not a man. Wrath is not for the children. Judgment, discipline, calamity, trials and tribulations, yes. Some brought upon by man and used in God's hand to bring about goodness, training, rebuke. All of it under his sovereign hand, some of it discipline. But wrath, that's not for the children. How is it resolved? It's resolved in verse 10 when he says, They shall go after the Lord. He, the Lord, will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west, trembling like birds from Egypt like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their home. Tender dad, tender dad, tender dad, tender dad, roaring lion. Mighty father. They're going to call on me before I called on them, and their motives are going to be all wrong. They don't really want me. But when will they really turn? When will we really repent? When he roars. When the lion roars, the children come running, trembling from the west. The place that he, why were they in Assyria in the first place? Because the father drove them there as a consequence for their idolatry. When will they come back? When the father roars. When the father roars. You guys ever have those moments where your dad was a mighty dad, where he called, maybe called out from the front door. You heard, Brett! And you come shaking knees. You don't know, what did I do? 
And then when you get there, you behold mighty dad, and you're met with compassion, with love, with leadership, with healing, with cords of kindness, and bands of love. The might of God is good news because it means he's able to execute these attributes in ways that actually matter. I can sometimes be a well-intentioned dad who can't do what I promise, who can't deliver on what I want for my children. I don't want them to ever know hunger. I can't promise them that. I don't want them to ever be harmed. I can't promise them that. I can't deliver on all the things that I desire for my children. I don't have the strength. But our mighty God, our mighty Father, is able to act upon all of his attributes. He's able to carry out all of his desires for his children. When he calls, you will come. You will come. You must come, you can come, and you will come because that's what the roar of the lion does. And that's really good news because it suggests that there's no, you cannot run far enough away from God to where you're outside of earshot of his call from the front porch. You get this? You can think, I'm finally, like, this is like Jonah, where can I go? I was in the depths of the sea and you heard my call. I tried to flee to the furthest known area of the world and you grabbed me there. You decided to send a fish to swallow me up. He will come and get his own. And this is where I want to talk to the person with the second testimony. Whereas maybe if you had that first testimony, you become so accustomed. You'd be thinking of yourself as a native son, forgetting that you were born again, forgetting the lengths to which your father went in your ignorance, just because you're a child. You didn't know it was he who healed you. You didn't know that it was he who was scooping you up. You didn't know. And so you've come to think of yourself as a native child and you've lost your sense of awe and gratitude for this wonderful God who has adopted you. But this is now for testimony number two, which is you are going to be inclined to believe that you can get too far away from God. That the day is ultimately coming for you where you're going to lower your bucket into the well and you're going to Try to pull up mercy, and one day it's going to finally be dry. That the fountain of living water is going to dry up on you. Because you know you had no right to be at that table. You knew it was grace alone. And surely there's a cap on how far this God can go or will go, but not for the roaring lion. He will not let his children go you can return to him. Over and over again, you can return to him. The whole sermon series is called Return to the Lord. Brett preached it last week. Hey, what's a good day to return to the Lord? What's a good day to call on the Lord today? Well, what if I sin again today? I should call on the Lord. What if I sin tomorrow? I should call on the Lord. What if I run away the next day, you should call on the Lord. You should return to the Lord. It turns out that 
He is an everlasting spring of living water who will never leave or forsake his children. He will not allow you to return to the bondage of slavery. He has liberated you once and for all, children of God. How? The answer is Jesus Christ. There's a confounding passage in Matthew 2 when we're reading the story of baby Jesus. He's born and Herod is jealous. He hears about this prophesied king who's been born and he feels threatened and so he sends out a search party to go and kill all the little boys that have been born in this area in this time in order to try to put an end to a throne before it begins. And an angel appears to Jesus' parents in a dream and tells them to go and take baby Jesus and flee into Egypt. And then after a time, after Herod dies, the angel appears to the parents again and says, now he needs you to return the child to Israel. That's a cool passage by itself. We could draw parallels, but the gospel writer Matthew said that this happened in order to fulfill what the prophet had written in Hosea. That when Hosea says, out of Egypt I called my son, that that was about Jesus. What? We have to come to understand that when I'm talking to you guys about Jesus as the true fulfillment of all that Israel was called to be, that even in passages that are also dealing with ethnic Israel, with national boundary Israel, that Jesus has now been given a whole other area that he must fulfill. Everything written about Israel, everything required of Israel, all the promises made to Israel can only find their fulfillment in the true and better Israel, Jesus. And so I want to look at this together. When we read the genealogies of Christ in the Gospels, that word for genealogy is the same word for Genesis, for beginning. It starts at the beginning and takes you through a line of children born all the way up until we get to Jesus. And so when we read the testimonies of Jesus in the gospel, we start with a genesis, with a beginning. And then what happens? Jesus is threatened by a jealous king who wants to kill some babies. And so what happens? He's, he flees into, his family flees into Egypt. Well, we've seen that story before. There's a people captive in Egypt and a Jealous king, threatened by their population, wants the slaying of the babies. And so there's one, Moses, who's put in a basket and floats downstream, and somebody picks him up, and he finds his rescue in Egypt. And then God delivers the people through Moses from Egypt, and he does it through what? Through the passing of the Red Sea, which in 1 Corinthians, we read, was a baptism of sorts. Well, after Jesus returns from Egypt, he goes and he's baptized in the Jordan River, and after the Israelites were passed through the Red Sea, where did they go? They went for 40 years into the wilderness to walk with, by the provision of their God. Where did Jesus go after his baptism in the river? 40 days into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and ministered to by the Father. While they were in the wilderness, the Father rained manna from heaven to feed them. While Jesus walked this earth, he multiplied the bread and the fish for them. And, and he said, 
but I didn't come to multiply bread. I came to be the bread for you. I myself am the bread of life. While they wandered, God instituted the tabernacle in order that he could dwell with them, and then later the temple. Jesus said, I am Emmanuel. I am God with us. Where ancient Israel looked to the promised land, we now look to the new earth, the true and better promised land brought about by Jesus. See, we find that all testimony of Scripture about Israel finds its true and better fulfillment in the true and better Israel in Jesus Christ. And this is how it is possible for the Father, though his anger burn, to stay his hand of wrath and judgment by his heart of compassion because his children are sealed by, I think, what is the greatest example of Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, which is that we're, we used to be under the bondage of the sacrificial system. Jesus came to be the eternal sacrifice by the shedding of his own blood. See, all that labor that we've done over the last several weeks to try to help you to see Jesus as the true and better Israel and the true fulfillment of the just requirements of the law, it lands here. It's not, it's not just about stuff that he did. It's about access that he gained for us to this Father. The reason why the Father can look at you and with all sincerity call you his child and stoop down and feed you and heal you and bind you up and even when you're ignorant to it can continue to remain patient and steadfast and mighty with you. The reason why he calls and you respond is because of what Jesus did for you. It's because of what Jesus walked in. And that's why when we land here and it's so disorienting in verse 12, Ephraim surround me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Honestly, it took me forever to write this sermon because I couldn't get past the last verse because it's not true. At least, I mean, unless God's contradicting himself, we, like I didn't skip the first 10 chapters and God's been saying that Judah's none of those things, that Judah has not been walking with God, that they've been unfaithful. And if that's not enough, chapter 12, like next week, is going to be all about Judah being terrible. The he my heading at the top of chapter 12 in my Bible is the Lord's indictment of Israel and Judah. But verse 12 in chapter 11, Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. The only way I can make sense of this is by looking to the Lion of Judah. It's by looking to the root from the stump of Jesse. In Genesis 49, I'll read it to you. I marked it ahead of time to save me some time. Jacob is blessing his sons, and he says in verse 9 and 10, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down, crouched like a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter, or like the king's staff, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. All the way back in Genesis, prophecy is spoken about a lion that will emerge from the tribe of Judah. And then again in Isaiah, in chapter 11, we read that this lion of Judah is going to emerge as from the stump of Jesse. Jesse came 
from the line of Judah. Jesus was born according to the gospel lineages from the line of Judah. In Revelation 5, he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. How was Judah faithful to the Holy One? How was Judah able, how was God able to look at the line of Judah and credit them with walking with God? Because of the descendant of the line of Judah. Our Father who sees the beginning from the end looked at the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the Holy One, the roaring lion of Judah, and credited his righteousness to the people that he purchased for himself. This is why I need you to understand that your your relationship with the Father is secure. While simultaneously telling Judah the truth, like ethnic Judah, about the truth about their behavior, he's declaring a righteousness over them in the same passage all the way back then, based on what? Based on a work that he was going to do for you when you didn't even know it, when you weren't even asking for it, when you weren't moving toward him, when you were rebelling against him, when you were in your, of your own merit completely unworthy, the Father was laying the foundations to ransom and rescue you so that all of us will look back on our testimony, whether, there is, whether you can't remember the day that you came to faith or whether you're like me and you still haven't gotten over it and you're still waiting for God to change his mind. God will say, I took them up by their arms and they didn't know that I healed them. That's who he is. That's what he's done. So I said at the beginning that my hope is that by showing you the Father's love in sending Christ, that I would encourage you that you can, must, and will come to him when he calls, and that returning to him is for your restoration and not for your destruction if there's like a takeaway here, it's that your sonship is not on the line. That your relationship with the Father is secure and that you need to go to Him when you sin. You need to go to Him when you're sinned against. You need to go to Him when you cause harm. You need to go to Him when you are harmed. You need to go to Him when you're hungry, physically spiritually, calling out for living water. You need to go to him. And if, like me, you are tempted to believe that one of these days you're going to go to scoop from the fountain of living water and it's going to come up dry and God is going to say to you, enough. I gave you a thousand chances and you still haven't learned. Look to texts like this and look at the fatherly, tenderly love. Would you withhold a bottle or the breast from your nursing infant. I just fed you three hours ago. You might. He never will. Come to him. I want you to raise your hand this morning as we wrap up if you find it difficult to pray. It's a real basic question. A thousand reasons for that. Is he listening? 
Is my problem big enough? Isn't he tired of hearing about this? I haven't earned a place in front of him. I need to clean myself up before I could approach the throne of God. I think he's listening. I think he cares. I don't think he can do anything about it. Whether our accusation in our heart, whether our doubt in our heart is that he's not mighty enough or that he's not compassionate enough, that he's not tender enough, that he doesn't care enough, that he doesn't love us enough, that we're not legitimate enough as his children to approach him. Whatever it is, these are the lies that are keeping you from the presence of that father. I want you to raise your hand again if you would like that father. I'd like that father. You have that father. That's who he is. It's not based on how we feel. It's based on what he says. He is who he says he is. He showed it by coming for us and walking out incarnate among us, the person and work of Jesus Christ. You need any more proof about his love for you? Look to the cross. He laid down his life to purchase you, you who were already his. Talk to him. Will you talk to him? Talk to him. 